Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. All right. 23rd Sunday. Let's do this. All right. So back in uh, 2019, the famed uh, Hollywood director Terrence Malick, he depicted the life and the struggle and, uh, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen the film, the eventual martyrdom of Blessed Franz Jägerstadter. Anybody heard of Blessed Franz Jägerstadter? All right, well, you're going to look him up after this homily today. He's going to be your new favorite saint. At least he is mine. All right. And the film is called A Hidden Life. Uh, it's an amazing, amazing film. So who is Jägerstadter? Well, him and his wife, they were farmers. They lived in Austria with their four daughters. And uh, right around the time of Hitler's rise to power, Jägerstadter uh, began to be very uncomfortable with the new regime, the war machine that was grinding its gears and making its way through Europe. And he was being drafted. He was being drafted into the Hitler's army. And he refused. He began to refuse to swear the oath of fidelity that everyone else was uh, swearing to Hitler and to the army and to the, the, yeah, to the ideology that was uh, prominent at the time. And everyone in town knew it, that Franz, unlike everybody else, had sworn off this, uh, this oath. His pastor encouraged him to do it. He even went to the bishop. The bishop encouraged him to do it, and he just couldn't do it. So he's eventually arrested. He's tortured. Uh, and while he's being tortured, everyone's trying to convince him to take the oath. Everyone's trying to tell him to do it. One of the most common arguments that you see in the film, uh, also in, in the actual true life account of it, that's uh, used against him is that they say that your sacrifice, Franz, is going to serve no purpose. Nobody's going to know about it. Like, you saying no, it's not going to change the world. It's not going to change the course of things. It's not going to change history. It's not going to change the fact that this is all happening. So you might as well give up. He's told that his sacrifice would be totally hidden. And because of that, it would be totally worthless. At one point in the movie, a very brutal moment of just emotional gravitas. One of his fellow prisoners pleads with Franz, telling him that Christ... He says, was a failure who came for nothing, that he did not succeed in changing the world, and what the world actually needs is a successful saint, is what this uh, fellow prisoner says. Someone who says, someone who will fight the powers and will overthrow tyranny through the force of will and through that established justice. You need a successful saint, someone who doesn't end up on a cross. Well, Franz... uh, doesn't heed that other prisoner's advice, and what he ends up doing is he bows his head before the guillotine and he gives up his life. True story. And as the credits roll, a a quote comes on the screen from George Eliot's novel, Middlemarch. Quote goes like this. The growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistorical acts, and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest now in unvisited tombs. 
So this film, uh, Blessed Jaeger, Franz Jaegerstatter's story, and in particular this quote, they've all been just percolating in my heart and my mind over the past couple months, and all of this just came up to the surface this past week as I was praying with this gospel. So bear with me here this morning. I, I've got a long runway in my heart and my mind that I feel like I need to convey before we get this to the, before we, before we connect all this to the gospel. So I'm not the only one who has been seriously asking in the past couple months, the past year and change, like, Lord, what the heck is going on? Am I the only one? I don't think I'm the only one, right? Okay. It feels like the train is like careening off the tracks, politically, socially, culturally. COVID-19 has, in many ways, accelerated the internal chaos and the collapse of institutions, both just the things that we all once thought were so stable and secure. Our culture is, many, in many ways, crippled by a, like an overflow of information that in this information technology age where we thought we were going to have so much access to truth, we seem so blocked by an ability to actually ascertain the truth, right? This epistemological crisis, we can't apprehend, we can't arrive at what is actually true, and it's leaving us in this crisis. We are losing faith in authority figures. You've got scientists on one side saying one thing, scientists on another side saying another thing, these people saying this thing, these people saying another thing. Right? The culture and the world are crying out, and the problem is that like, the means by which God intended for the cry of the world to be answered, like the church, God intended the church to be the means by which, the vehicle by which the cry of the culture and the world is answered, the church is also crying out. Right? The church is also in a, in, a, in a horrible state. It's in a state of just serious uh, decay in many ways, right? You've got splintering, you've got infighting, you've got bishop against bishop, cardinal against cardinal, you've got these Catholics against these Catholics, you've got this ideology versus this ideology, right? You've got accusations and heterodoxy, and you've got this, like, this splintering, right? There's a lot of suffering, there's a lot of chaos right now. Like, the problems seem, and they are, they're so big, and they're complex, and it feels like the tidal waves just feel so massive. And because of that, like we are looking for, we keep looking for an equally massive, equally big, equally powerful solution to these huge problems. Like maybe this is a weird analogy. It's the only thing that kept coming up in my mind as I was praying. So I was like, all right, Lord, I'll share it. So a couple years ago, there was a new Godzilla movie that came out. And uh, <laughs> you're like, what? It's just took a left turn. All right, so... I was shocked by this Godzilla movie because there was these huge alien creatures that were attacking Earth, and all of the human weapons and bombs and guns that we were throwing at it did nothing, and what they needed was Godzilla to rise up from the deep and fight and destroy these other alien monsters, right? Like, you needed a massive monster to fight these other monsters. We needed a Godzilla, and I feel like that's what we're doing. We're looking for our Godzilla. We're looking for a Godzilla, and I think that right there, like, that is the trap. I think that is the misdirection that the enemy has been leading us into, at least for me, as I look in my own heart where I've been spending my mental energy, time, and frustration, that's where I've been lulled into. I've been misdirected. I think we're very much in the church being misdirected, thinking that we need this gigantic other solution to fight and combat these huge, complex problems. Like something that struck me in this gospel that I never really just sat with before is this like, in my imagination, as I was praying with this scene of Jesus healing this deaf-mute man, 
what I was struck by, what I saw was how utterly destitute, how completely neglected and ignored and quite frankly pathetic this man was, this deaf man, this mute man who sat by the roadside begging. I was struck by the fact that the God-made flesh deliberately, intentionally approached this nobody to perform this unbelievable miracle for him, right? Like, I was so struck by this, that he wasted his, like, this precious Messiah juice on this guy who counts for nothing. He went to this guy who we don't even know his name, but he went to him and did this miracle for him. Like, why, Jesus, why didn't you go up to Caiaphas or Herod, right, or Pilate or, heck, like, Julius Caesar, like, or, like, Caesar Augustus, and, like, why didn't you go to them Stick your fingers in their ears, stuck, like, touch their tongues, open up their minds, their hearts, like transform them. Why didn't you do this to them? Are you with me? Like, what in the world? Like, why, Lord, didn't you perform any of your miracles on the powerful? At least, why didn't you, why didn't you even perform any of your miracles in the presence of the powerful, or the influential? But you do this astounding miracle and all the other astounding miracles, you do them hidden from view for the lives of nobodies, for the, in the lives of people who are, who in the world's estimation count for nothing. Like, Lord, what is the logic here? I mean, think, I mean, how much influence do you suppose that this deaf mute man had? None. <laughs> he had authority over nobody. He had influence over nothing. And yet Jesus has this intimate and powerful encounter with him, and he changes this man's life. And this man can't stop talking about Jesus. Like, and, and maybe like the skeptic in, in your heart, like in the skeptic in my heart is thinking something along the lines that those other prisoners, like what they said and what they thought to Franz when they said to him, like, this isn't going to change anything. What is one miraculous healing for a deaf mute man going to do, Lord? Like, this isn't going to change the course of history. Rome is still going to be in power. They're still going to grind their citizens under power. Jesus, the Jews are still going to rise up and crucify you. Like you're just tossing like a drop of water on a house fire. This isn't going to do anything. Like we want solutions to the chaos around us to be pr programmatic and big and sweeping. Like a solution of power. Like a solution that that alters the situations of power. We think that, man, if we could only get our guy who thinks the right thoughts into that, positions of, in that position of power, if we think that, if we only could get the people who think like us into those positions of power and influence, then, man, then things would change. Things would be different. Then we would be on the road to healing and recovery. Like, I'm not naive. I think some things would be different, but I don't think that it's deep enough. Like, the culture is upstream of politics and positions of power. And it's, and it's, culture is affected by things that are way smaller and way more hidden, way more quiet. All of it's affected by the individual hearts and lives of people. It's hidden. Like what reshapes the world, what's always reshaped the world, what rocks the cradle, cradle of culture are the innumerable hidden lives of men and women who've quietly committed themselves to the truth. People responding to Jesus. Saints change the world. Holiness shifts culture. People 
who are striving for sanctity. That's what changes culture. That's what changes the world. Like, in a word, like, the drama, the, the only drama that actually matters is not what are those people in power doing or what might happen to me because of the decisions of those people in power. Like, the only drama that actually, in the final analysis, when the curtain falls on each of our lives, the only drama that actually matters is the hidden drama of my own heart before the heart of Jesus. Like, will I be open, like this deaf-mute man, before the love and the mercy and the power and the beauty of Jesus? Will I allow Jesus to stick his fingers into my deafness? Will I allow him to touch me in the deepest, most hidden, innermost places of my heart? Will I allow him in? Will I allow grace to have its way with me? That's the only drama that counts. And I think that right there is like, that's what we're being misdirected from. Like, that's what I think the enemy has us, like, chasing after all of these gigantic, huge, upper-level, big, programmatic solutions to the problems, and the reality is it always comes back to this small, hidden thing. The choice in each individual heart. Like, Jesus, by flipping everything upside down, he has shown us that real power, real inf- like, the real power to influence things doesn't come from the top. It's hidden. The real power is love. Real power is hidden within the smallness of your marriages, hidden within the smallness of your hidden lives. It's hidden within the smallness of your daily decisions. It's hidden within the holy hours that you make that no one else sees but the Lord. Like real power is the hidden things, the small things. That's the stuff right there that the enemy is saying, don't look at that. So I just want to invite us, like what I felt the Lord gave me this week was this, this brief moment where my, like, my head lifted above the clouds, above like the cloud of debris and rubble and chaos. And the Lord just was like, like, yeah, breathe some clean air for just a quick second and go back and remind my people. Like the path that's before us right now is, is, is just no different than what it's always been. The drama's the same. Like the same Jesus, the Alpha and the Omega, the same Jesus who slumbered on straw, who sang the hymns of David on the Nazarene hills, the same Jesus who called simple fishermen, the same Jesus who called tax collectors and prostitutes, and like the same Jesus who healed nobodies and befriended people of no power and no influence, who associated with the lowly, Like that same Jesus who was sentenced to death and who died the death of a nobody. Like that same Jesus who on the morning of the resurrection wasted the first moments of precious resurrected life by having just breakfast with his friends, who took a walk with two of his disciples who were lost and sad and like confused. That same Jesus is coming to us today. Like this isn't just any other mass. This is the only mass you have right now. You are guaranteed no other. This is the only one. This is the only opportunity you have right now to open your heart to those, to the incredible mercy and the presence and power of Jesus. This cannot be routine for us anymore. This has to be our oxygen. This has to be the absolute essential, like sine qua non. This has to be the thing without which I cannot survive. 
this experience of mercy, the gift of the Eucharist, the encounter with Jesus, this has to be the thing that sustains us going forward. This, there cannot be anything else. We have to get into the mindset that I have to come here as if this is the last time I have to open my heart to Jesus. We have to get into that mindset. We have to get into this posture of, I have to open my heart to you. Because no amount of casual contact with Jesus is ever going to change us. It's not. It's only when we allow our hearts to be open to the Lord. Like the hidden life of Jesus is contained in this Eucharist, and he's coming to you to sanctify your hidden life. Like, because look, maybe you and I will never be, like, maybe we'll never be canonized, or maybe we'll never be, like, recognized on the world stage. But honestly, none of that matters. The only thing that matters, the only thing, is are we opening our hearts? And are we opening our lives more deeply to this real person who really really loves us. But Jesus never gave us the commission. You'll find it in, you can't find it in the Gospels. You won't find it in the Scriptures. Jesus never said, I want you to go and, go and change the world. He never gave us that commission. He gave us the commission, go into the world and make disciples. How do you make disciples? How are disciples made? Disciples beget Disciples. And only someone who's encountered the love of Jesus is a disciple. Like, by first letting Jesus change our world. And then this is how it works, that love, loved people, people who know that they are so deeply loved, they go and they change other people's worlds. That's how this works, one at a time. So I want to invite us to enter into a posture of prayer right now. I, I don't... I don't think we're used to doing anything like this, especially as Catholics at Mass. But I want to invite you to close your eyes, and I want to invite you to open your hands on your lap in front of you. We're not angels, we are persons with bodies, and what we do with our bodies matters. It's why we stand, it's why we sit, it's why we kneel, it's why we make the sign of the cross. All of this is a posture of openness. And when we speak words out loud, it has power, both in our lives and in reality. I want you to re repeat after me as we just invite Jesus in. Jesus, I open my heart to you. I open my past to you. I open to you my memories. I open to you my shame. I open to you my habits and my patterns of sin. I open to you all of my coping mechanisms. I open to you all of my hiding places. I open to you my fears. I open to you my future. I open to you the places in me that have been dead and isolated for so long. Dear Jesus, all we ask is your love, for that will be enough for us. Nothing but you, Lord, nothing but that intimate, overwhelming love. 
because the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me today as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest now in unvisited tombs. All of those untold masses who just simply and quietly and completely opened their hearts when the master came and whispered, Ephatha, be opened. <laughs>